Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, June 29th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the arrest of a former Medicaid integrity director, the suspension of a major health care provider from Medicaid, and the arrest of a state representative for failure to pay taxes, and maybe and some that more. Was just a, that was just the last 36 hours. Yeah. So that's Max Brantley back with uh, with us. Uh, we've been gone for two weeks. Uh, we had shows scheduled that just sort of fell apart, but we'll we'll endeavor to to not miss that much time. Big news of the day uh, involved Robin Ravindran, a former Medicaid integrity director who later joined Preferred Family Health Care. He was charged Thursday with a felony fraud with felony fraud that a felony fraud charge, excuse me, that grew out of an FBI public corruption investigation. Well, it's just more of the same. Preferred Family Health Care is this giant health care provider uh, that now gets $43 million a year in state money to provide a variety of mental health services. And we've now had former Senator John Woods, former Representative Micah Neal, former Senator Hank Wilkins, former Representative Eddie Cooper, at least three former employees or contract employees of Preferred Hamley Health charged, convicted, or pleaded guilty to federal felonies for briberies, kickbacks, and illegal campaign contributions that were derived from the Medicaid money that went into Arkansas. And we've got at least one former senator who seems likely to face bribery charges in the future. Uh, we've had a number of other people that have been tabbed as being part of this. Robin Ravindran, in fact, was identified, but not by name, in the guilty plea by Rusty Cranford, the former lobbyist and executive of this company, who's pleaded guilty to paying bribes assortment of people to get business for the company. The, the, the key, it's a, you know, it's a complicated business, but at the core of this was legislation that set up a reimbursement scheme under Medicaid that preferred family health care and its affiliates wanted. It's, and clearly it was richly productive. You know, Cranford says he got $4 million in illegal money. Uh, Ravindran is accused of $2 million worth of fraudulent expenditures. Uh, clearly, the the amount of money the state has spent on mental health services has been more than enough to pay for the actual services and put a lot of money into ill-gotten hands. So, interestingly, this is the first state charge. I, whether the FBI provided information to the Medicaid Fraud Unity Attorney General's office that, that developed into this charge. Interestingly enough, the affidavit for the arrest warrant indicated that the Medicaid the Inspector General had had been on to some problems with this reimbursement scheme, but uh, strong lobbying from legislators, who we now know some were on the take, uh, prevented any changes from being done. And so the Attorney General had a Medicaid fraud unit that did finally do a charge, but only years after this thing was in process, so I don't think we had a particularly great Medicaid oversight program that this went on for so long before it got caught. And then really only got caught because the feds had tumbled to a lot of corruption in Arkansas and had gotten some guilty pleas and st- finally were starting to worm some important information out of people. Uh, now, why is a Medicaid fraud charge a, a state charge? Why wouldn't the feds Well, there is that? a state charge for it. Why they chose to put it there, I'm not entirely clear. It's an interesting question. Uh, does this open the door potentially on the state level to what we've seen at the federal level? Will Ravindran decide to cooperate 
and perhaps provide information about other people who were involved in this. The arrest warrant said there were some people who knew about it, some people who didn't. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that we'll ever get to the bottom of this entire thing simply because it's so big. At some point, the prosecutors will say, well, we've got 10, 12, 15 people, who knows how many, uh, and, and that's enough. We just, you know, we could do this forever, but at some point you've got to cut. And there are statute of limitation issues. In fact, that we, the Medicaid fraud unit looked at some things that they said were too late to prosecute. This one, this one was not. So, and also the big news today was, is that <clears throat> finally, and I've been calling on the state government to do this for weeks, they suspended preferred family health care from the Medicaid program and from other contracts that received a total of $43 million a year. Now, I don't take any great pleasure in this. They're going to try and find alternative providers. There are thousands of people who receive services under this program. There are 4,000 employees of the agency, the company said, and, and I don't take this lightly. I hope we can restore services and where you have people who are providing needed services, they continue to be able to do it. We went down this road once before with Ted Sewell's behavioral uh, in, uh, organizations, and they were put out of business too, and eventually people stepped up and replaced them. But, you know, this notion that because you have some people who are honest and and some people who are vowing to do right, uh, that they ought to be able to continue to reap the benefits of the fraud that put money in their pockets, I just don't think that's right either. And until now, the state hadn't made any effort to reclaim any of this money, which clearly was fraudulently spent. So I think we needed to take this step forward, and we'll see how it goes from here. Yeah, it's a it's a massive story, and, and we're... But really, you know, I just had a long phone call today with Brian King, the state senator, who got beat this year in part by strong opposition from the sorts of special interests that benefited from this program and he'd been, he tried to introduce a bill that would have required disclosure of everybody in the legislature who got money from, from agencies that received Medicaid money. And, of course, it was beaten. And he's taking some satisfaction in the fact that they're finally doing some things. But, you know, he's, he's the guy that cried wolf a long time ago and was, he happens to have been correct. And he got beaten in his reelection campaign. He's a guy who I've often been on the opposite side of the fence on politically, but we had a long and interesting discussion. And he is going to reintroduce before in the lame duck time in office the, the, the rest of this year, again, an effort to have more disclosure for the legislature on, on Medicaid stuff. And perhaps maybe people will give him a little more attention than they did last time. So we've talked previously about uh, State Senator Jeremy Hutchinson's uh, potential involvement in this case. He hasn't been officially named, but... Well, his uh, own attorneys acknowledge yeah. that where Rusty Cranford talks about somebody who got paid a half million dollars, it's, it's Jeremy him. Hutchinson, and, and he said that was legitimate legal fees, not bribes. We still expect him to be indicted at some point. Uh, you know, the... Rumors are rampant. They were rampant that he was involved, and they turn out to be true. It is, it's hard for me to believe that they would have stated so directly what Cranford said without plans. I, I do know that I asked Jeremy Hutchinson's lawyer, Tim Dudley, last week if there was any truth to the rumor that's circulating that there is a sealed indictment and the negotiations are underway between Jeremy Hutchinson's lawyer and the feds over some possible resolution of the case that they presumably have against him. And he only said no comment at this time. There you go. 
Well, who knows? We, this has been the story's been around for what three years now, two years at least. And you know, there are there are other people that we. I mean, there are any number of other legislators and former legislators who have been identified as having gone to work for preferred family health care, which isn't a crime in and itself. Uh, Tim Summers is one of those. Well, under who, Chesterfield, who uh, who guided money outside of their district to preferred family affiliates. Uh, Michael Lamoureux, the former president of the Senate and the former chief of staff to Governor Asa Hutchinson, was one of the people who did that. There's nothing illegal in guiding money to preferred family health, but you have to wonder why somebody outside would push a bunch of money outside their district to them. Uh, there, there are any number of people who've been closely associated with Rusty Cranford in guiding money from the General Improvement Fund to various beneficiaries. Uh, one of those was Linda uh, Chesterfield, Chesterfield of Little Rock, who was at one time put on the payroll as a consultant to preferred family health care. Again, she reported that. I'm not saying this is a crime to do that. But the amount of money they passed around and the work they did with people, inevitably, now that we know any number of people actually were felons, you know, it just puts a, it just casts a, and this is a non-profit company again. It's a charity, so-called, which is and 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 I want to say again, it is not indicative that he's a criminal, but a person who's been making a million dollars a year as chief executive of this organization remains chief executive of this organization, which operates in five states and is making a million dollars a year, and at some point, even if he is you know akin to a saint. He's not a very good manager if this amount of corruption occurred on his watch because among the people who've been fired have been like chief financial and operational officers and, and any number of other key people. I mean, Robin Ravendron, who, who was charged today, was supposedly in charge of their integrity division. Well, he didn't have much, apparently. Well, or that, that also gave him insight into how he could beat the system. Well, right. He came from being in charge of that at Medicaid. He had some, I don't know, uh, 20 years at work in the state Medicaid office, and he knew how to work. And one of the things he did was he came up with a plan where they would bill everything to Medicaid, not Medicare, because the reimbursement scheme was richer in Medicaid. That was one of the... And in the course of this, I mean, the, the, the charge made a point of noticing, noting that Arkansas had spent $147 million more than the next closest state on mental health services, primarily group group therapy. Well, that sounds terrible and probably is terrible. But I was reminded that I wrote some months ago, back when this debate was underway, that it made sense to shift some money out of what had been an abusive residential treatment program and the more community-based treatment in and of itself. And, and so you can't necessarily compare state by state until you know the whole picture of what they spend on mental health. And so maybe it's not on its face bad that we spend that much more for community mental health. But what we do know is in moving that money into that area, then among the things we know they also did was expand Medicaid coverage for people who've just left, been paroled from prison and helping these guys reenter the world is perhaps not a bad thing. But if it was all guided to one insurance company or one provider as a result of improper payments, well, that's not a good thing. And I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying hypothetically yeah yeah there's a lot well we will stay on it Jeremy Hutchinson by the way 
is is viewed as having some influence on who went on the the task force that came up with some of these ideas. I don't know if that's true, but we do know one of the people on the task force that came up with these ideas for expanding services of mental health providers was Robin Ravindran, who got charged with a felony today. Right. Hutchinson was the chair, co-chair of the task force. Yes. So moving on, but staying in the legislature, Republican State Representative Mickey Gates surrendered yesterday at Garland County Jail on felony charges that he'd failed to pay state taxes for six years. He'd actually hadn't filed since 2003, but statute of limitations. He had a tax return for 15 years, and the the state charged that he was charged with six felonies because that's the statute of limitations. The state says he owes $258,000, which is, you know, six years. That's $40,000 a year in arrears. We don't know if he did or didn't file for the feds, but if he didn't file for the feds, and I've, I've asked the feds to investigate it, it just strikes me that somebody who doesn't file state might not file feds too because, you know, there's a matching program in which agencies exchange their taxpayer information to, to make sure that if somebody filed, reported one place, they reported another. And so I've suggested maybe the feds ought to take a look just because it just seems like maybe they should do that. And I'll take the finder's fee and give it to the Arkansas Public Law Center to continue to crusade for enforcement of the law. But but I'm, I'm, I'm serious about having reported it, by the way, but I, I mean, I have no idea what will come of it. But But, you know, the state Republican Party, the governor, and the Speaker of the House of Representatives have said due process needs to run its course in this case. And, of course, that's true. Uh, you know, Mickey Gates, who was just a sorry representative and known mostly for homophobic legislation, uh, is entitled to the constitutional protection. And, and I don't want to convict him of a felony until uh, somebody's heard the case and made that decision. But, you know, I don't know about you, but I file my tax return every year. And I think most people file their tax return every year. And when money is withheld from people's employees' pay, for taxes, and if you keep it and don't remit it to the state, well, you you've more or less taken the state's money, and I, I just don't have much sympathy for that. And he doesn't dispute that he didn't file state income tax returns. He said he thought the DF and A did it for him. Well, you have to be pig stupid or just possess unbelievable brass to say something like. But wasn't he saying that he thought DFNA did it because he'd been working with them and negotiating with yeah, but them? That, but that's that's nuts. I mean, what he's been doing is trying to put off paying for years and years and years. He's had tax lien after tax lien after tax lien filed against him. In the 2017 legislative session, he introduced legislation that would have shortened the period that the state can recover money from tax deadbeats like himself from 10 years to 7 years. If you don't pay up in 10 years now, it's forgiven no matter how much you owe. He would have made that 7 years. And he's gotten where he's strung out the state on a quarter of a million dollars for something like already three years now. And so he just figured, I can just keep on doing this and do my song and dance and do my old soft shoe, and I'll just never pay and say, oh, I had a hard time, and this came up and that came up. And apparently, finally, they put a special prosecutor on the case and the state police on the case, and they finally said, no, this is just a guy who's a criminal. And so they filed charges. But as I say... He didn't do it. He shouldn't be in the legislature. It just seems open and shut to me. And the Republicans used to always, the minute some Democrat did something bad, they were calling for instant resignations. I mean, hell, they're ready to impeach Wendell Griffin without a trial. But but old Mickey Gates, who deadbeats the state and takes money from from kids and everybody else who benefits, we, we, should, we should take our time on this. Consider it carefully. 
So it's, uh, it's like I said earlier, it's been a couple of weeks since we met. So let's do just a few things that we would have talked about if we had recorded. Um, I guess it was last week that the state Supreme Court uh, overturned Circuit Judge Wendell Griffin's uh, ruling, uh, which halted the uh, awarding of cult- mar- medical uh, marijuana yeah. cultivation licenses. Well, I mean, that was almost a certainty. I mean, the Supreme Court, I don't think, is going to ever uphold Wendell Griffin on anything ever, <laughs> ever, ever again. You know, it, I think there were arguments on both sides. Well, number one, the court is in this position now that says basically you can't sue the state anymore over anything. That's kind of a problem that they, they've created this enormous problem with that, that precedent. So that's not how they ruled here. No, no, but I mean... They kind of, they kind of said no. They said here it hadn't been adjudicated yet, which is also nuts because it has been adjudicated. I mean, they may not have formally awarded the cultivation permits, but they scored the top five and said they were going to give them to these top five. But they said that it just wasn't his place at this point to consider all the irregularities in the process, which include some suggestions of conflict of interest on the part of some commissioners and just crazy variations in the scoring process, overlooking of some of the rules, that sort of thing. But in any event, so they said it's up back to the commission, and the commission, when the when the mandate of the court is received in about a week, then they will meet. And at that point, they can then go ahead and award the permits. And then what will happen is some of the people who feel wronged will make specific complaints about some of the recipients, particularly, I think, ones that have been tied to undo influence, and then the commission will or will not throw out those people, and then there will or won't be a lawsuit. I mean, I've called for uh, them to start over, to have a lottery, to have an outside expert review them, and this has brought me some highly indignant responses from some in the top five, as you might imagine, saying, oh, that'll just extend things. That wouldn't be fair. We've got a property right, and the permits have already been awarded. Of course, Supreme Court said they have not been awarded yet as a matter of technicality, which is why they overruled Griffin. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's true. There's, there's, I mean, why have a process if you're just going to ignore it? And he says they, one of the, my, my, my critics says they all acted in good faith and yeah, they could have done it better, but you know, it's, they ought to improve things in the future, not just go back and throw, throw out everything that's been done at this point. And, Heck, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they may just go ahead. I, I'd say my best guess is they'll award the five, and then there are going to be some specific objections filed, and we'll have at least a few more months of legal work before. But some, if if all five are not objected to, perhaps one or two of them can begin growing marijuana, and the commission will meet next week to begin talking finally about dispensary permits, whether they might decide to have a better process for them than they did for the cultivation permits. We don't let go, but Monday afternoon they'll meet, and maybe we'll learn that. Meanwhile, some agency, possibly the FBI, is investigating this uh, bribery well, allegation. There was an allegation that a bribery attempt was made, and, and uh, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, who said she's going to have a public integrity division, uh, says somebody else is investigating that. I don't know exactly what she's going to investigate. She's mostly grandstanding by announcing she's going to have two people look into public integrity. This reminds me of nothing so much of after we broke the Nick Wilson scandal some years ago, Mike Huckabee set up a public integrity unit in his office and a hotline, and Leslie Rose is going to have a hotline too, and had a former FBI agent was going to take calls and really root out the, 
the stink in state government, and he came up with a grand total of zero. So, uh, Finally, the biggest news nationally in the week is that Justice Anthony Kennedy is retiring. Yeah, and good riddance. I mean, in, in, in most ways, except for two very important things, and that is he wrote the most important gay rights decisions of our lifetime of history. And he also was a, a protector, at least to a degree, although not to as great a degree as I'd have liked, to the uh, Roe v. Wade ruling, which prohibits making abortion illegal. Uh, Trump has promised to appoint somebody that will take care of abortion for his evangelical base. Uh, so that's bad news for women. Uh, Democrats will raise a howl, but I don't see how they can stop Trump's appointee, unless I'm surprised the list of people he's compiled that are supposedly who he'll draw from if he sticks to it, these people are going to be hard to object. They're not crazies. I mean, they're ultra-conservative. They, they threaten equal rights for gay people and, and medical rights for women, and that's terrible, but that, that alone, unless Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and John McCain get moved doesn't mean they can be defeated in the U.S. Senate. So I'd say these are, are dark times. I heard uh, Nina Totenberg on public radio this morning say, well, like one of one of the people who's considered a leading candidate is Brett Kavanaugh, an appellate court judge in Washington, who's somewhat familiar here because he was part of uh, Kenna Starr's whitewater persecution team during the dark years in Arkansas. But he was a clerk to Kennedy, uh, he's he's no friend of abortion. He's had, he he was one of a dissenters in, in a case that an immigrant child sought an abortion, and the, and the government tried to stop her, and the appellate court overruled that Kavanaugh would have prevented her, prevented the government from allowing it. But she she viewed him as somebody who would might not necessarily flatly overturn Roe but certainly continue along the path of letting the states nibble away at it at such a degree that, as a matter of fact, it's unavailable. I mean, Arkansas and Mississippi are now down, depending on where we stand on the abortion pill ruling, to one last abortion clinic, a number of other states. There are some states where somebody flies in once a month or something to do abortions. So the, this, this policy of finding every way to hamper has become very successful and it's becoming increasingly hard to get. And so, you know, perhaps that could be the best hope for is that Roe would be preserved, but in spirit far more than in actuality. Yeah, there's been a lot of speculation that that's John Roberts' MO, that he would prefer sort of incremental change rather than sweeping and, and that. So... Okay, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you got this week? Well, I went to my 50th high school uh, reunion last weekend, and I won't endorse going or not going. That's for everybody to decide. Uh, I should add that my wife says that nobody should ever go to a 50th No spouse should let a spouse go to a 50th reunion alone because it, as a, her experience as a divorce court, you won't believe how many marriages have been broken up by old flames rekindled at reunions. At 50-year reunions? At 50-year reunions. <laughs> I thought, I don't know if she's talking about 50-year reunions. Maybe she's talking about early. Anyway, she went with me, and I, I said, you don't have much to worry about. There weren't any old flames. But in any event, that's a long run-up to this. So we 
we wanted to listen to some audio books uh, on the road trip to Louisiana and, and my car's too old to have Bluetooth so I bought a Bluetooth speaker so I could link my iPad up to a Bluetooth speaker then uh, listen to one so anyway this is again a long dog and pony show here but uh, we got some thriller murder mystery book to read on the way back to listen to on the way back and it was a 10 hour book and so we only listened to six and a half hours of it so we had three and a half hours to listen to it so we sat up two nights and rather than watching television sat around our bluetooth speaker and listened to the last three and a half hours of the book and it was a pretty good book it was engaging you know murder mystery but what i realized was this is a long way of endorsing listening to books to audio books but listening to them on a speaker in your living room it reminded me of what it must have been like my dad used to talk about growing up in the 20s and 30s and how they were glued to the radio at night listening to radio dramas or radio comedies and how radio was just this wonderful thing and my mother-in-law said she liked audio books better than tv because your mind was free to draw the pictures up yourself and mm-hmm. imagine the characters. And I really got it. I mean, I, I, it was, I really recommend trying this sometime is, is don't plug in your earphone and turn off, but sort of have it like the old thing of listening to radio dramas in the twenties. It was, uh, it was good. Sounds great. Uh, I have watched the Americans since it, started but for whatever reason I wasn't in the right headspace to watch the last season and so I saved it until now and I've just been binging it and woo it's good yeah I've seen it I won't spoil, I won't spoil it for you okay uh, but it's uh, I, I thought they came back this time I mean that, that, it was one of those series that went up and down but I thought the last season was very effective well all I think all the previous seasons at least seasons one through four are available on Netflix to stream so um, I'd encourage folks that missed out to catch up how, how many how how far are you I just have about three episodes left I had one great small disappointment but I won't I won't even say I mean it doesn't really affect the plot very much you just there was a character that didn't reemerge and I hope would reemerge oh okay well we'll, we'll discuss. I also went to the beach a couple weeks ago and read, which has become sort of a tradition for me, the latest Don Winslow book. He's, uh, uh, I think he did some reporting. He's written for Esquire quite a bit. He does a lot of deep research um, into books. He's written quite a bit about cartels and law enforcement. But this one is about uh, a New York City cop who's involved in corruption. And uh, it was great. It was really fun. Good beach read. Don Winslow, The Force. Sounds good. They're going to make it into a movie pretty soon, I think. All right. Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes or your favorite uh, podcast source and check out our other podcasts. We've got a new podcast out in Arkansas uh, on LGBT issues in Arkansas. We've got No Small Talk, an entertainment podcast. Uh, what's Antoine's podcast called? Blanking Rock out, the culture. Rock, the culture Rock the culture with Antoine they Phillips. Had so much fun. Yeah, listen to them. It's a great one. And Matt Price, the conversation interview podcast. He's got Joyce Elliott on this week. So check all those out. And hey, if you know an honest man or woman, tell him to run for legislature, will you? We need a few more out there. There we go. See ya.